Well, hello everyone. Welcome to South Bay Community Church Online. I am Greg. I am one of the pastors and I'm excited to bring the word to you today. Well, my wife's name is Monica, and when Monica and I first got married, we ran into some issues. We were kind of butting head over some common issues. And one of the issues that that was coming up was my surfing. She was saying that my surfing was getting a little bit too much, and it was getting in the way of our marriage and even in the way of my fatherhood as we had a baby son at home. And I know what you're thinking, sinner, right? What a sinner. I know. How could she think such a thing? Like, I don't know. But, but we decided, and a little reluctantly, I, I agreed to go into Christian counseling together. And as we sat in front of our counselor, I, I just, I knew it was going to come. I was just bracing myself, and sure enough, this issue came up, and I knew what she was going to say. I mean, I'm a pastor, and I help counsel other couples as well, so, so I kind of knew all the right answers, and, and I'm re- ready for her to say, well, Greg, if you really love Monica, then you need to lay yourself down. You need to give things up if she really is the love of your life, and she is your first and foremost ministry. So I'm, I'm bracing myself. I'm ready to hear those words. And then she says something that shocks me. She says to Monica, she says, Monica, don't take surfing away from Greg. He needs it. It's good for him. He needs to be refueled. He needs to be replenished. It is healthy for him. And I look at her and I think to myself, I like her. Like she is a really good counselor. And then she looks at Monica, she says, Monica, don't cut that out of his life, just add something to yours. Add something that's going to do the same for you, something that's going to refill you, something that's going to replenish you. And then negotiate. Let Greg surf in a reasonable amount at reasonable times, and then when he comes back, then you can go, he can watch baby Evan, then you can go and be filled yourself. And then at At that point, you guys are both healthy and operating in a healthy place and loving each other in healthy ways. And when she said that, I sat there, this was 10 years ago, I sat there scratching my head in wonder. I was full of wonder. I've never looked at it like that. I've never thought about it that way, but it made so much sense. Her counsel was wonderful. And I I saw that as I continued to go to her on different occasions and I brought different issues and different problems before her, I found that I really loved how she would come at it in very unconventional ways. She would say things with such insight that I'd never thought of. And so many times I found myself wondering at how she came up with that. It was wonderful counsel. So many times I thought, wow, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's not intuitive, but yet it is filled with such practical wisdom. It was wonderful counsel. Now here's the truth. She's a really great Christian counselor, but the reality is she's a human counselor. That leaves room for error. There's things that she will not know. There's things about me that she might not understand. And so there is room for human error. But here's the hope that you have and the hope that I have. And it comes from Isaiah. 
The book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, and here's the hope we have. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many of you guys can agree with me that Christmas cannot come soon enough this year. How many of us can use Christmas right now? And so I'm excited to kick off this new Advent series where we're going to enter into the season of anticipation. We're going to get ready and get our hearts excited for the celebration of our newborn King. We are getting our hearts ready for Christmas starting today. And we're going to call this series God with Us. God with us. And that passage we just read in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, I I pray that you would bookmark that, highlight it in your Bible because that's going to be the main text for the next three weeks as we look at who this child is, this child who is born unto us. And I'm going to show you how this prophecy that Isaiah gave tells of a child who is going to be born, who is going to be God in the flesh, who is going to come from heaven down to earth to be with us, God with us. And today, we're going to be focusing on how this child who was born unto us came to be our wonderful counselor. So would you guys bow your heads, let's pray, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us his word. Would you guys join me? And God, I pray that if we're not there yet, you you do it now, that you would get our hearts ready and excited to think about, to celebrate, to sing about our newborn king. And I pray that we don't wait until December 25th to celebrate. I pray that there will be celebration going on in our hearts, in living rooms across the South Bay and to the ends of the earth. Right now, as we listen to your word, help us to be excited about who Jesus is and what he's come to do. God, I pray that you speak to every individual. Lord, we have different things going on in our life, different problems, different issues, different circumstances. And God, I pray that you show us the relevance, the power, the timeliness of your word that was spoken 2,700 years ago, that today it is still living and active. And so God, speak to us. We give you our hearts and our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so Isaiah 9 verse 6, I pray that you still have that open. But something you have to understand about that passage that you're probably familiar with, that passage we just read wasn't a Christmas card that Isaiah was sending to the people of Judah or to the people of Israel on December 25th B.C. Nor was it a song that was being sung by the shepherds as the halos of the angels lit the skies and were bringing sparkles throughout the region on December 25th BC. What you have to understand is that when Isaiah wrote this, it's around 730 BC, at least 700 years before the time of Christ, it was a very real, very dark very troublesome time for the people of Judah. The struggle for the people of Judah was very real. At this time, over 700 years before Jesus' birth, the Assyrians were taking the people of Judah into captivity. 
And the people of Judah were, were afraid, they were scared, they were anxious that the kingdom was about to be destroyed for good, that it was going to go down for good. And yet Isaiah was sent by God to be a prophet to the people of Judah and to the king of Judah, King Ahaz, to remind them that God is not about to abandon you. And so through Isaiah, King Ahaz gets this reminder that God made a promise to King David before him that there was going to be someone from the line of David, someone from the the house of David who was going to come and be a king forever. He was going to have a forever kingdom. We know that as the Davidic covenant. It's a promise that God made with David. And so King Ahaz, remember, as dark as this time is, as tumultuous as this time is, as real as the threat is for your people, God is not about to leave you alone. He will not abandon the people of Judah. And so to prove it, to prove that this was coming from God and God was real about his promise, God says, I'm going to give you a sign that there will be a coming Messiah King to reign forever. Going back a couple chapters in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, here's what Isaiah said to Ahaz. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, we know that means God with us. Then in Isaiah chapter 9, two chapters later, Isaiah tells us that this child who's going to be born of a virgin will be called many things, but among the things he'll be called, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. I want to spend the rest of the time today to help break that down and show you what we mean by Wonderful Counselor. So if you're taking notes, write this down in your notes. Here's the first thing. Let's look at the fact that Jesus is wonderful. Would you write that down? Jesus is wonderful. Now, this is a great word. When you think of something that's wonderful, what are you thinking of? Usually, we use the word wonderful to describe something that's pleasant, something that's nice, something that's lovely, right? If you go on a nice, relaxing vacation to Hawaii, you come back and you're asked, how was it? You might say, oh, it was wonderful, Right? Or even when something terrible happens, you're in disbelief because your kid just spilled milk all over your sofa. Sarcastically, you might say, oh, wonderful, wonderful. When Monica and I, when we started dating, that word wonderful was a meaningful word in our relationship. It started off where she would say to me, you're wonderful. And I'd say, no, you're wonderful. She'd say, no, you're wonderful. I mean, like, no, you're wonderful. And, and we use that word a lot to describe how we felt about each other. But over time in our relationship, that word began to evolve. And then it became an inside thing between the two of us where when the other person was doing something lame or dorky or even dumb, we, we would say to the other person, you're so wonderful. And we knew what that meant when we said, you're so wonderful. And she would ask me, do I look all right? And I would say, yes, you look wonderful tonight. And so, so it's a wonder how this word wonderful has been so watered down by the world today. How has this word wonderful been so watered down? See, because in the Hebrew, 
which Isaiah chapter 9 was written in, the word is Pele. Pele. And it's translated wonderful and also could be translated as miraculous. Miraculous and wonderful are synonymous. The word is so much weightier than we've made it out to be today. See, because the word Pele, wonderful, describes something that is incomprehensible. It's inexplicable. It is unfathomable. It is way beyond us that we are left speechless in awe. We are left full of wonder. And so if something is truly Pele, wonderful, it is only wonderful if we are left full of wonder. How in the world is this thing the way it is? So without understanding of what Pele means, wonderful, think about what on earth is truly wonderful. And as I thought about this week, there are only a few things on earth that I can say are truly wonderful. I remember the first time I walked up to the rim of the Grand Canyon. I walked up to that rim and I've never seen anything like it. My heart sunk, my jaw dropped because of how wonderful this place really was. How is it that this place exists? How, how is it that this place was formed? How in the world is it that the scientists say that this whole canyon was formed by moving water? The Colorado River cut this out, really? And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you're probably thinking right now, this picture does not do it justice. And that's my point. A picture is worth a thousand words, but all a thousand of those words does not adequately describe the feeling you get when you see the Grand Canyon. It, it doesn't do it justice. I agree with you, nor do my words. I could sit here and try to explain to you what it's like to, to see the canyon like in person, but I will utterly fail because it is indescribable. It is unfathomable. Now here's the thing. How many of you guys have ever noticed that sometimes when you see something from afar, as wonderful as it may be, sometimes the closer you get, the less wonderful it gets. See, because I stood there on the rim of the Grand Canyon and we went there, me and a bunch of friends went there to, to hike from the south rim to the north rim. It would be a two-day hike. And as we went in and got closer to the canyon and we went down into the canyon, it wasn't so wonderful. It wasn't so awe-inspiring anymore. At the bottom of that canyon, it literally read on the thermometer 125 degrees. It was like an oven. All the hot air gets trapped inside that canyon. We encountered snakes. Bugs were on us. We tried to lay at night to sleep under the open stars. It was so hot and hot air, hot wind was blowing on my face, chapping my lips, drying out my nostrils. I couldn't sleep, so we kept on hiking. It was not so wonderful the closer we got inside that canyon. Has that ever happened to you? The, the closer you get to something, the less awe-inspiring it is. You know, some of you guys, when we were meeting in person, 
like you would see me from afar. You'd be in the seats and I'd be up here preaching from the stage. And I'll never forget there was this service where I had finished preaching and I was out in the lobby and I met somebody for the first time. And when that person came up to me, that person looked at me and said, whoa, you look different up close. I was like, cheesh. And I was thinking to myself, you're so wonderful. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, that person was like unflattered by what they saw up close. It happens. I get that. It happens. But here's how Jesus is different. Because Jesus is truly wonderful, isn't he? He's wonderful. But with Jesus, the closer we get to him, the more wonderful we see him to be. The more wonderful, the more awe-inspiring we find him to be. The more we get to know him, the more we learn about him, the more we understand how he came and what he came to do and the, the way he would do those things, the more we get closer to Jesus, I believe it leaves us in greater awe and full of wonder. Who is this man? I mean, just think, when you thoughtfully consider the Pele of Christmas, the, the wonder of Christmas, the miracle of Christmas, just surrounding his birth, that leaves us in wonder. How is it that the God of this universe, this God who is spirit, became flesh? That's Pele. That's unimaginable. How is it that the God who is our Father in heaven would give us his only begotten Son, a different person, but that Son, Jesus, is God, and yet there's only one God? How is it that the Father is God, the Son is God, they're two different persons, but there's one God? That is unexplainable. Pele. How is it that the God of this universe, the creator of all things, who's at all places, at all times, who is bigger than all things, was contained in a physical space this big in the womb of a woman. And not just any woman, a virgin woman. That's Pele. That's miraculous. That's inexplicable. And when we behold the wonder of Christmas, there are truths about this child that forces us just to surrender our understanding and conclude that Jesus is truly wonderful, too marvelous for words, uncontainable in the human mind. And so rather than rejecting Christ, rather than denying the existence of Jesus just because we can't wrap around wrap our heads around what the Bible says about him, I pray that instead of rejecting him, we would be left in awe, that we would be thankful and full of wonder that God should perform such a miracle to fulfill his promises to us in such an undeniable fashion. The miraculous birth of Jesus is a sure sign to us. You can't mix him up with any other human baby because of the way he came. It is an undeniable sign that even in our darkest times, God is with us. And he's not going to abandon us just like he wasn't going to abandon Judah in our darkest times of need. 
Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful, but Jesus is also counselor. So would you guys write this down? Jesus is counselor. Jesus is counselor. That's the second word in that name is Yaetz. So it's Pele Yaetz, wonderful counselor. And Yaetz is just that. It's somebody who gives counsel, someone who gives guidance or, or, or advises like many of the kings in ancient Israel did. But here's what makes Jesus, the, the newborn king, the Messiah, such a wonderful counselor. Because this child who has come, who has been born unto us, is 100% God, and he is 100% human. That right there is Pele. That's incomprehensible. How do you even explain that? How can you be 100% God and man? And yet when we can understand that or surrender to that understanding, that gives us great comfort, doesn't it? That should comfort our souls when we recognize that Jesus is God and we are not. That, that he knows things that we cannot that he knows us better than we know us. Psalm 139 says this about our, our Lord and God. Verse one and two says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and have known me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Our God knows everything about us even before we know it about us. And yet here's what's also true about our God. Not only does he know everything about me, he knows everything about everything. Not only does he know everything about me, he knows everything about everything around me. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says this about Jesus. That in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is God. I shared a story recently about my son when he was just one year old and he was just learning to walk. I mean, obviously he couldn't talk yet, but he was just learning to walk and we took him to an amusement park and at the front of the amusement park, he found a patch of grass which absolutely amazed him apparently because he would walk on it and he wouldn't wanna leave it. All right, because we lived in a townhome. We didn't have a yard, so there was no grass. So this was the first time he had literally stepped on grass. And I'm just imagining in his head, he's thinking, how is this stuff crunchy? And how, how are these skinny things coming out of the ground? And why does it feel the way it feels? And so when it was time for us to go into the park, I, I was trying to get him to come, but he did not want to come. Like he was kicking and screaming, no, no, no. And he wanted to come back to this patch of grass. Now, now here's the thing. He had no idea where I wanted to lead him to. He had no idea where, where I was trying to bring him, right? I wanted him to see the rides, the, the colors, the attractions, the characters in all their costumes. I wanted him to see the cotton candy and the ice cream. I wanted him to see everything that was waiting for us inside the park, but he didn't want to go. But here's the difficulty that I had. As a 31-year-old father at the time, 30 years older than this one-year-old baby practically, is that as much as I would have loved to explain to him and help him understand what I'm trying to lead him to, I 
couldn't. That's the frustration, I couldn't. Because his one-year-old mind doesn't have the capacity to understand the things I know as a father. I can't say to this one-year-old kid who, who, who can't even talk, I can't say, hey, son, trust me, there's this great roller coaster ride. It's this wooden track that goes up, but then it goes down. We'll be sitting in this car that, that will fasten us securely, and it'll take this turn around this bend. I, I can't explain that to him. He's not going to understand. And so as hard as I try to explain that this isn't as good as it gets, he doesn't have the capacity to know what I'm talking about. Every word that comes out of my mouth comes out as wah, 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 wah. And here's why I share that. Because if the gap in understanding between a 31-year-old grown mature man and his one-year-old little human baby is that far How much greater is the gap between a sinful, finite, human, limited human father and an infinite, unlimited, omniscient, powerful God? That gap between what I can understand and the capacity I have between me and God is so much greater than the gap between me and my human son. I just don't have the capacity to understand the things God understands. I cannot contain the knowledge and wisdom that our God is able to contain. And that's the comfort. There's this comfort in knowing that Jesus is God, 100%. And he knows not just everything about me, he knows everything about everything. It provides me great comfort that his counsel is so much greater than any other counsel I can receive. But here's where great comfort in his counsel also comes in. It comes in from the wonder of Jesus also being 100% human. 100% human. You know who the best counselors are who could help you through whatever you're going through right now? The best counselor that help you to go through what you're going through are the ones who have been through it. So not too long ago, uh, two young adults from our church, two young brothers, uh, Ryan and Francis, wanted to try mountain biking for the first time. And so they asked me if I would take them out. Now, here's the thing. I, I've been riding for about two years on my bike. And so the, my friends and I, we've been on all sorts of trails. We've been on blue intermediate trails. We've been on black diamond uh, expert only trails. In fact, we really enjoy some of the double black diamond trails. So we've been on all sorts of terrain, but, but since this was going to be Ryan and Francis' first time, I wanted to bring them on a, a green beginner trail. So I wanted to take them on this loop called the Fullerton Loop that was going to take them through streets and residential areas and, and, and dirt trails all around the city of Fullerton. Very easy beginner trail. But here's the thing, I couldn't do it. Like I, I couldn't lead them through that trail. Why? Well, I had to call my friends, some buddies, to come and be our trail guides. Why couldn't I bring them through the Fullerton Loop? Is it because I'm incapable? Is it because I'm incompetent? No. It's simply because I've never ridden that trail before. I've never been down those roads. 
but my buddies have. And so when my buddies came to be our trail guides, we 100% trusted them. Not one time in the ride did we question, do you know where you're going? Not one time did we doubt where they were leading us. We just followed them. Put our 100% trust because why? Because they had been down these roads before. They had been down this trail and they knew how to navigate us. They knew how to navigate us. A few years back, Christine Lee, a sister in our church, was able to share her testimony, her story of her experience with domestic abuse and how God brought her through the bruises and the brokenness, how God brought her through the trauma and the trial of that whole ordeal. It was a powerful testimony. I'm so thankful that she was able to share it with our church. I kid you not, within the next few months, three people, three people reached out for help, for guidance, for counsel, because they were experiencing domestic abuse. And do you know how I counseled them? Besides making sure that they went to the authorities, do you know how I, as a pastor, guided them? I guided them to Christine. I advised them to speak with Christine. Why? Because she had traveled that road. She's been through that dark valley. She knows how to navigate it because God has helped her navigate. And so she understands way more than I understand. She can speak in ways that I do not know how to speak regarding domestic abuse. The best counselors are the ones who have traveled your road, who have personally endured your pain, who have experienced the comfort and compassion of God, who can be with you in meaningful sympathy. Those who have traveled the road before you. Those are the best counselors. Do you know why Jesus is Pele Yaetz? Do you know why he's such a wonderful counselor? Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 and 16 tells us this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, you have to understand, has gone hungry and he's been homeless. He's been tired and he's been weary. He's been backstabbed and he's been betrayed. He's been rejected and he's been hated. He's had his teaching criticized and his character questioned. And there are so many things that Jesus went through in his lifetime that John says not all the books in the world can can contain all that Jesus did on earth. There are so many things that Jesus experienced that we don't even know about. But I wanna say that whatever road you are on right now, whatever valley you're traversing right now, Jesus understands that road and he is able to sympathize with us. To sympathize means to feel with us. He's able to feel with us why he is God with us on that road or on that plateau or in that valley. 
he is with us. He understands. So he knows what you're going through because he was 100% human. And he knows how to get you through what you're going through because he's 100% God. And that makes him the most wonderful counselor. The most wonderful counselor. And so my question now is, do you trust our wonderful counselor? Will you trust him? Let me give you a couple takeaways for the remainder of the message. I want to give you a couple takeaways that I pray will change your life by transforming your perspective. And here's the first one. I'd love for you to write this down. Write this down. Takeaway truth number one. When you're left wondering about your circumstance, let your problem be God's platform. I know that's a lot, so maybe you just want to write down that last part. When you're left wondering about your circumstance, let your problem be God's platform. Let your problem be God's platform. See, there's going to be things in life that are going to leave us wondering. You're going to be scratching your head and trying to make sense of this. Why in the world is this happening? Like, why in the world did God allow coronavirus to ruin my year? Like, why in the world is God allowing me to have cancer right now? Where is God in this? Why in the world does that child have to suffer? How is that any good, God? Where are you? And there are going to be things in this world, in our life, that are going to make us wonder, why? Like, what's the point of all this? And Jesus' counsel, I believe, will leave you full of wonder. Life's problems will make you wonder, but I believe Jesus' counsel will leave you full of wonder. Because remember his name, it is Pele, wonderful, which means miraculous. And if you think about all the wondrous miracles, all the wonderful miracles that Jesus performed in his lifetime that we get to read about, what do you find in all of these miracles? There's something that's threaded all throughout. You know what you'll always find when you come across the miracle of Jesus? A problem. Like you'll find a problem, a people to be fed, a sickness to be cured, a dead person to be raised, a heart to be healed. There's always a problem that precedes the miracle. Jesus never performed miracles just to do miracles. You don't see him walking down the street and going, bam, street turned to gold. Walking down the street and trees start dancing. Walking down the street and pigs start flying. He never did random miracles. Every time he did a miracle, there was a problem. And that problem provided a platform for his power. That problem provided a platform for his power. I want to turn you to John chapter 9. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 9, because I want to show you the story of a man who had a problem. And that man's problem made people scratch their heads and wonder, why is that man blind? How is it that he was born blind? And here's what it says in John chapter 9, verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind. See, there's this common line of thinking that certain suffering was a result of someone's sin. Someone messed up. And so why is this guy blind? Did he mess up or did his parents mess up? And here's how Jesus answered in verse 3. 
Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Would you underline that? That the works of God might be displayed in him. What was Jesus saying? That this problem has a purpose. That this problem is providing a platform for the works of God, for the wondrous miracles of God to be performed. This problem is providing a platform for my power. It reminds me of Paul, the Apostle Paul, remember in 2 Corinthians 12 where he's got this problem. He's got a thorn in his flesh, which he also says is actually a messenger of Satan. So whether it was a physical setback or a spiritual attack, whatever it was, he wanted the thorn out. He wanted it gone. And he, he, he prays to God over and over and over again. He says, three times I pray to God, I just want it to go away, but God, why isn't it going away? This doesn't make sense. Why isn't it going away? And if I were Paul, I'd be wondering too. Like, God, don't you hear? God, don't you see my problems? Why aren't you doing anything about it? And then he comes to this conclusion. What did he conclude? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 9. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. His heart settled on this truth. My problem it's gonna be a platform for Christ's power. So God, if you wanna keep the thorn in me, keep it in me. But let your power be seen in me. So I wanna encourage you, friends, that whatever problem you're faced with, whatever trial comes your way, whatever predicament you find yourself stuck in, whatever thorn is left in your flesh and you're wondering what is happening God where are you I want to encourage you wait wait upon the wonderful counselor he's doing something God does not want to leave you wondering about why you're going through the problem I believe ultimately God wants to leave you full of wonder full of wonder over his counsel in wonder over his solution, in wonder over his miraculous, incomprehensible power. I believe he wants to leave you in awe of him, amazed by his glory. And so here's the takeaway truth. So when you're left wondering about your circumstance, let your problem be God's platform. But here's the second takeaway truth. When you're left wondering about Jesus' solution, count on his counsel. I'm going to say that again. So when you're left wondering about your circumstance, let your problem be God's platform. But when you're left wondering about Jesus' solution to that problem, count on his counsel. Trust what he's saying to you. Like when we go through our problems, when we go to Jesus with them, He's going to provide wonderful counsel, counsel that will make us wonder, really, 
You want me to do what? Like it's gonna make us wonder, like really, that's how you want me to handle it? So the way to deal with my obnoxious coworker who makes fun of my faith is to pray for my enemy and actually bless the one who persecutes me, really? So, so this is the way to deal with that person who just cut me off on the same road twice now is to not forgive them twice, but 70 times, seven times? You want me to do what? That person who abused me when I was growing up, you want me to do what? Forgive the person? To love the person? That does not make any sense. So God, you're telling me that, that, that if I just trust you and put first your kingdom and live according to your righteousness, that my life will be taken care of. That somehow that's gonna take care of my bills and give me food and give me shelter if I just seek first your kingdom. That's all it takes, that simple? And there's gonna be counsel that we receive from our counsel that's just not gonna make sense. I'm not sure that's gonna work, Jesus. But will you count on his counsel? Would you put your weight on it? Would you put your whole life on it? Would you lean in and trust by faith? Will you trust the wonderful counselor? Even if it doesn't make sense. Go back with me. Remember John chapter 9. Let's go back to that, that man with the problem who, who's blind. He's got a problem. And, and, and Jesus said it's going to be a platform for God's power to be seen. Right? The miracles of God to be on display. What was Jesus' solution? How did Jesus counsel this guy with a problem? Well, let me show you. John chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. After saying this, Jesus, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, Put it in the man's eyes. Then he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. That means scent. Okay. Now, if that doesn't make you scratch your head and wonder, I don't know what does. Like, Jesus, you just put spit in the dude's eye. Like, do you know what would happen if a blind person came into South Bay Community Church and this pastor right here, it's called to, to help this blind person. Do you know what would happen if I spit in the guy's eyes? You would have a blind guy with a loogie in his eyes. Still blind. Yeah, and then you would have a pastor with a black eye because why did you just spit in my eye? Like it wouldn't work. And yet Jesus puts spit in this guy's eye, sticks mud in it, and then tells him not just to cross the street but to walk across town I mean, how humiliating is that? You got mud in your, walk across town to the pool of Siloam to wash it out, which is a pool that people would go to for healing, but apparently this guy hasn't been healed by it. I'm sure he's gone there multiple times in his lifetime to be healed, only to be left blind. And yet once again, Jesus says, go and wash it out at the pool of Siloam. But it's like, Jesus, why? Why, why, why such counsel? How, how does that make any sense? Why don't you just snap and make them see? Like, why don't you just use the command of your voice like you did for the centurion? Why don't you just let them touch your, your, your garments like you did for the woman bleeding? Why such craziness? Why, why the mud and the spit and the pool of Siloam? Like, what's the formula? 
And I'll tell you the truth, I've read this over and over again and I still don't understand. I don't have an explanation. And the scholars that I've read in the commentaries as, as I studied this, they came to the same conclusion. We got no idea. It's uncertain why Jesus did this. It makes me wonder. It boggles my mind. But you know what the most radical part of the story is? Here's the most radical part of the story. The blind guy lets Jesus put spit in his eye. The blind guy lets Jesus stick mud in his face. And with mud on his face, the blind guy actually goes to the post alone, which has never worked for him before, and he washes it out according to Jesus' counsel. And you know what the result was? As he trusted in Jesus and he counted on Jesus' counsel, he was healed. And the man was left in wonder. And his parents were left in wonder. And the neighbors who always knew he had been born blind were left in wonder. And the Pharisees were left in wonder, trying to make sense of what just happened. And so I pray, friends, I pray that you'll embrace the problems that we encounter. And I pray you would allow the, the problems to be platforms for God's power to be on display in you, to you, and through you. And I pray that you embrace the problems and embrace it in such a way where you come and you bring them before the feet of Jesus and you surrender them to his counsel. And as you seek Jesus for his counsel and as you look into his wonderful word and as you pray for his wonderful guidance and when you listen to godly advice and the people he's put in your life, I pray that you would just count on every counsel that comes from the mouth of God. And I pray, because I believe, I pray that your obedience to his counsel will leave you full of wonder. For unto us a child is born, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Peleiaetz, to God be glory. Would you guys bow your heads? And let's pray. And I want to ask you at this time that right now you would just do that, that you would take whatever problem, whatever circumstance, whatever trial you have right now, would you lay it down before him and seek his counsel? God, would you speak to me about this? Be it through your word, be it through your still small voice, be it through the people you've put in my community. Speak to me and show me how to get through this. You are wonderful. And so, Father God, we pray that, God, Jesus didn't come from nothing. The miracle of Jesus being born unto us isn't just a random miracle. A problem preceded it. Our sinfulness, our fallenness, the broken world we live in, there, there are problems that require Jesus to be born unto us. And I thank you so much that we are not left having to wander. But Lord, you want us to be full of wonder at your divinity, the fact that you are God, and yet God became flesh so you understand 
what we are going through and what we will go through. And so we trust that if anyone can help us, you help us, God. Help us to put our weight on you. Help us to put our faith. Help us to be wholly committed to you. And I pray that even when it doesn't make sense, if, if we know for sure it is from you, I pray that we would walk in faith. That like the blind man, our eyes would be open and we would see. God, we love you so much. You are a wonderful counselor. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.